There we go. Hey, if you would reach in the back of the chair in front of you, there should be a communication card. And uh, I want you to fill that communication card out. If you're new here at Mountain View, I especially want you to fill the card out. And I'd love to meet you when we're done here. I usually meet people over at the Mountain View and Five area. And we uh, just, I usually ask what brought you today. And I'm also looking to see who the brave people were who braved the big snowstorm of 2019. (laughs) I'm impressed, really impressed. Hey, we're going to do things a little bit different than we normally do in our rhythm of worship today, and we're going to dig into the message right now, all right? So when all the people are coming in who normally strag, you know, kind of straggle themselves in through the uh, morning, we'll just wave to them, all right? See? We'll just wave. So hey, I'm really excited because we're going to start a new series today. We've been in this series called Messy Love, and we're turning the page, and one of the things that I know is I always get excited around the Christmas time, right? Now some of you, you love Christmas all year long, okay? Some of you never take your Christmas lights off your house. All right, anybody in here do that? I'm just curious. All right, how many of you, just one or a few? Just once. All right, all right. So how many of you, like, enjoy starting Christmas sometime in October? How many of you have the strict rule that we don't start until after Thanksgiving? And once Thanksgiving's over, we can begin Christmas. All right, so that's how I feel, especially when it comes to the things that we do in the church. You know, we finish Thanksgiving up, and so we celebrate Thanksgiving. And so I feel like we can officially start the Christmas season. And what I want us to do at Mountain View is I want us to slow down and I really want us to take time to focus on who Jesus is. I want us to focus on what Jesus did. And I want us to know the power of the virgin birth and what that means and what that looks like. And and if we will, I believe that God is going to do something in our hearts. I think he's going to expand our hearts to know him more intimately, to know him more passionately, and that we will desire to come now to worship him. And so that's the whole series is called Come Now. In fact, it comes out of Matthew chapter 2. And in Matthew chapter 2, you have the birth narrative of exactly what happened or how it happened from Matthew's perspective. And so in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, this is what it says. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Right? And so you got these wise men. They're from the east. Some commentators believe it probably took them up, upwards of nine months to travel to Jerusalem from where they were at. And this is what it says. They asked him, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have, say this with me, we have what? Come to worship him. We have come to worship him. Why did the wise men travel so far? To come to worship him, right? I'm helping you out here, all right? So, so why were they there? Right. Why are we here? Say it again. Why are we here? Yes. See, the wise men, the wise men didn't travel to go get something from God. They came to worship him. And I think what happens is in our modern day American mindset Christianity, we assume that if I would just come to God and I would do my things, I'd say my prayer and I'd be good and I'd do this, then God's going to give me everything that I want. Whoa. We kind of look at God as like a genie in the bottle, right? That I rub the genie and out comes Jesus and Jesus says, here I am. What do you wish? 
your wish is my command. And then when Jesus doesn't do it for us, what happens? Shove it back down in the bottle, right? Because that's not the way it's supposed to work. And so I think what happens is sometimes in our, we, we reduce Christianity to some kind of formula that where people actually believe God exists for us, that if we just do the right thing, and if we pray the right prayer, and if we act the right way, then God will do everything that we really want him to do. But I need you to understand something. God does not exist for us. This is hard for some people to hear. God does not exist for us. We exist for God. The reality is this is not why God exists. He does not exist for us. We exist for him. We are created to glorify him. We are created to worship him. We are created to make him known. We are created to bring him honor. And as a church, I believe that God wants more from us and more from our hearts toward him in worship. And I believe one of the greatest areas that we can improve learning in is this concept of worship. But the problem is we look at worship as being a Sunday only thing. But worship is more than that. It's a seven-day-a-week thing. It's, it's every moment in our lives. We worship wherever we are, whatever we are doing, with the people that we encounter. When we go to work, we should be worshiping. When we serve, we should be worshiping. When we are at the grocery store pushing our cart down the aisle, we should be worshiping, right? No matter who we encounter, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, we should be worshipers because worship isn't something that we do. It's who we are. Worship is who we are. Worship isn't something we do. A worshiper is who we are. We were created to worship God from the depths of our hearts. And I've been asking that. God would build within us a desire to know him intimately and a desire to worship him passionately. And so this Christmas, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this Christmas moment in Matthew, 20, or Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to look at some postures of worship. And so today we're going to look at how we raise our hands, all right? And I hope to have a little fun with that. Next week we're going to talk about how we bring our gifts. And next week we're going to talk about how we pour our heart out. And then the week after that we're going to talk about how we kneel, we bow before, before him. Now some of you, you didn't grow up in the church. And so when I start talking about being hands, being raised, all right, how many of you are like, uh, how, well, let me ask it this way. How many of you grew up in an environment where you raised your hands in worship? Let me see. How many of you did not grow up in an environment where you raised your hands? Yeah, yeah. So I'll probably be talking to some of you right now, okay? Some of you, you didn't grow up in the church, right? And you kind of walked in and you saw people doing this, right? And um, it looks a little bit different, doesn't it? Come on, be, you got to work with me here, okay? I mean, you look on... And you're watching the person who's doing that, and it almost feels as if you're watching somebody make out, right? It's just kind of awkward. You're like, should I look? Should I not look? Like, but it's right there. I mean, if you see somebody making out on the side of the street, you just can't help but like. And so sometimes that's how it feels. Sometimes it feels that way. We know it's real but we feel like we shouldn't be watching. And I want to explain what, teacher, what Scripture teaches us about lifting our hands to God and what exactly it accomplishes. But first, I want you to see what Tim Hawkins says about hand raisers. And I know that each church has its own worship style, you know, 
which is cool. Some people are more expressive in worship. Some people more subtle, and it's all good. Um, I go to a church that's pretty expressive in worship. It's um, it's a hand raising church. That's what it is, right? That's what you know. Anybody here go to a hand raising church? Here? Sweet. Who here does not go to a hand raising church? <laughs> Some of you are trying. You're like, I can't. I want to, Tim. I need to get some momentum. <laughs> totally cool. But hey, if you're not used to going to a hand-raising church, you want to go and join us, feel free to join us, but don't feel like you've got to join right in, okay? Start slow. we got a lot of different hand-raises that we use. We actually have names for our hand-raises. So I'm going to walk you through real quick, okay, what they are, just to let you know. Say you're my church, music is rocking, start slow, hands in the pockets, little elbow flap, you're fine. Very subtle. Get warmed up. Get your heart rate up. When you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready? Carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's our first one. Very subtle. Go to big screen. Big screen, a little wider. Next one's my fish was this big. My fish was this big. If you're a liar, you can go out there. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. Grace. Next one's hold my baby. Hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one, dueling light bulbs. We got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn, right back to goalpost. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa, that's my favorite. The circle of life. Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. You can take one hand, go a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. <laughs> Release the doves, give the Lord a high five. Press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. <laughs> and when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go. There's your big three. You're set. I thought he would say it a lot better than I could, right? But isn't that how it feels sometimes, right? We're watching this thing. We're watching people raise their hands. We're watching people worship, and we wonder what's going on. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at a scripture this morning. I want to let it come to life to us, and I want us to have a deeper understanding of why we do what we do. And I want us to understand that our hands, our hands are always a reflection of what's going on in our hearts. Please understand this. Our hands are always a reflection of what's going on in our hearts. And so I want us to look at Psalm 63. And in Psalm 63, this is a psalm that David wrote. And David is in the wilderness. And David was at a very low point in his life when he wrote this psalm. And so David, he cries out to God. He cries out to him as a reflection of what many of us might even feel in our hearts right now. And so listen to this. Psalm 63, verse 1. It says, Oh God, you are my God. And earnestly I seek you, and my soul thirsts for you, and my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And I wonder how many of you might actually feel what David was feeling when he wrote this, that this would define your current situation, your current life. It feels dry right now. Maybe we feel dry. Maybe we feel like we're in a desolate place. Maybe we feel like we're alone, or sometimes we feel like we're rejected, and Christmas Christmas messes with us. 
Because then all of a sudden, sometimes we feel afraid. And, and have you ever noticed going into the holidays, it's as if whatever's going on in your life get, gets magnified in the holidays, right? Some of you, I know this to be true, you lost loved ones this year, and guess what? Thanksgiving was hard, and Christmas is going to be hard, and it's as if the pain that exists Thanksgiving and Christmas, it puts a magnifying glass right over that pain and and just magnifies it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? And all of a sudden you feel feel desperate. You feel like you're in a desolate place. And and right now you're in this place, right? And and Christmas, it makes good times really, really good, but it makes hard times really, really, really hard. And what David's doing here is David is crying out. He's saying to God, God, I need you from the depths of my soul. God, I thirst for you. I long for you and I crave for you. There's nothing on earth that is satisfying me right now. And so I need you. Goes on in verse two, it says this. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. I think it's always good for us, especially when we're in those desolate moments and those lonely moments and when things aren't going the way we think They should go that we acknowledge that God is still powerful. He goes on, because your steadfast love is better than life. Did you hear this? Listen to this. Your steadfast love is better than life. Therefore, my lips will praise you. And do you hear what David is saying? He's saying, no matter what is happening, no matter what's going on in life, I will praise you because your love, God, is better than life. Think about that. The love of God is better than life. And it is. The love of God is eternal and it's everlasting and it never fails. But this life always fades away. But the love of God, it never, ever, ever goes away. He says, your love is better than life. Therefore, therefore, my lips will glorify you, God. I can't stop it because your love is that good. I've got to proclaim your love. I've got to talk about your love. I've got to tell you that I need you, God, because your love is that good. I need to tell you that I long for you, God, because your love is that good. Because you're powerful, God. Because your love is something that I can't even earn, that I don't deserve it. And so I will bring you praise with my lips. But listen to verse 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. Now don't forget, he's in this desolate place, right? He's in in the wilderness. Life is not going the way David thought it should go. So he says, I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name, say it with me, I will lift up my hands. Remember, David's in a bad place. And he's not saying, hey God, I'm really thanking you because things are really good right now. What he's saying is, I'm thanking you, God, because you are still good. That in the midst of my mess, in the midst of of, of the desert, in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of the place that I'm in my life, I will raise my hands to you because you are still good. Not because things in my life are good, because my circumstances are not good, but God, you are still good. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. In your name, I will lift up your hands. In your name, because of who you are and because of what you've done, I will lift up my hands to you, God, and I will glorify you. This is an act of worship. Now, I don't know what happened for sure, but I remember being baptized on September 5th, 1993. And I tell people that, like, this baptistry is sissy, all right? It's like a little bathtub back here. The one that I grew up at, the church I grew up in, it was probably the size of, like, this stage, all right, and you'd come out, and man, the whole family would come out with you. All right, the preacher wore the waiters, 
right? With the white button-up fancy, I don't know what that was, thing, okay? And um, I I just remember being baptized. I can still remember it. And I remember coming up out of the water. You know what happened? My arm just went up. I'm like, why are my arms up? Self, put your hands down. I don't know what happened, but something began to change in me. And I, and I love when that happens to us. I also tell people this. I've never had a bad steak. <laughs> Ever. It's steak. Like, if I get to eat steak, it's good. Even if it's not good, it's good. And that's been my posture when it comes to worship. I tell people often, I, you want to know what I like musically? Good luck. I can give you my iPhone and let you listen to iTunes, and you'd be sorely confused. Sometimes we're driving in the car, and it just goes on random, and Sarah's like, what is that? Oh, isn't it cool, though? Just like I've never had a bad steak, I've never had a bad worship experience. Because it's not about the circumstances around me. It's about the goodness of God. And it's finding the goodness of God in the midst of the circumstances that no matter what, I can worship him. I'm able to worship him. See, we cannot experience the grace of God without showing our gratitude. If we've experienced the grace of God, something should be happening in us that motivates us and moves us to show him our gratitude. And when we truly understand who he is and when we truly understand what he's done for us, we will want to express in our heart worship to God. I want to read another verse in the New Testament. And Paul, Paul wrote this to a young pastor named Timothy. And Paul is giving Timothy some instructions on what Christian worship is all about. And this is what Paul told the young pastor Timothy. Listen to this, verse two, or chapter 2, verse 8 of 1 Timothy. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Right? What does that tell you? Men, men usually lift their hands like this. He's saying, I listen. When it comes to Christian worship, I want men not to quarrel. I don't want them to be angry. I want them to lift their hands. And I want them to pray. Now sometimes in the Bible, especially older translations, it'll say, I want men or, or I want mankind. And it literally meant everybody. This actually doesn't mean mankind and it doesn't actually mean everybody. It actually means men. So this is interesting to me that Paul says, I want men to do this. Now ladies, for the moment, put your elbows down. All right. Don't, don't do any nudging. But guys, I just want to talk to you for a second. When it comes to this attitude of worship, I don't know why for sure, and I can't prove it, but I would say based on my experience that men are often the last to do this, right? Awkward, awkward. Maybe it's because of a pride thing. Maybe it's because we feel awkward. Maybe it's because it feels like it's more of a chick thing, all right? Not necessarily a man thing, but for whatever reason, Paul says, I want men to lift up holy hands to God. And, and so I got thinking about it, and I tried to think, why in the world would Paul ask us to do that? Why would, he, why would he instruct men to do this? And I'm guessing that Paul wants the men to set the standard for worship. I'm guessing that Paul wants men to be leaders in their family, and I'm guessing that Paul wants their children to see their fathers seeking the heart of God. 
And I'm guessing that if we want our children to seek after God, that we need to be the ones seeking after God too. And I would say this to the men in our church, that it's not, all right, guys like competition. Don't let your wives out-worship you. <laughs> right? I mean, how's that? Don't let our children out-worship us. Let's set a tone. Let's seek after God. And I think that that's why Paul wrote this, because he knows that we would sometimes take a step back and just let it all happen. But I think what Paul is saying is, listen, we, we want men to raise their hands. We want them to be men of prayer. Don't quarrel. Don't fight. Seek God. Be an inspiration to the women in your life to seek God and the children in your life to seek God. Raise holy hands. Raise our hands. Lift them up. Why is it that God wants us to lift our hands to him? Why is this even in the scripture at all? Why does it create such an awkwardness among different people at different times? This is what I know. I love it when my children, even at 11 and 6, raise their hands to me. Do you want to mess with the soul of a man? Have kids. And have those kids look up to you even when you are so frustrated with them raise their hands to you and say, Daddy. You know what that does to the heart of a man? It makes him a sissy. It, it just does. Moms, you've got it, right? From the moment that the birth has happened, that child, right? You, your life, as you know it, is over for that child. You've given it all. But why is it that I would have the reaction? Even if Tucker, age 11, comes up to me and says, Dad, with his arms wide open, I would literally stop everything and embrace him. Why would I do that? Because we're made like our father. That when his children raise his hands and say, Father, he reaches out and he embraces that's one of the reasons that I think that we do this is our Heavenly Father loves when we lift our hands toward Him. When our hands move toward God, I believe that our heart and His heart moves toward us and He loves it when we lift our hands. And so God's heart moves towards us when our hands move toward Him. Did you know this? When our hands move toward God, His heart moves toward us. James 4.8 says this, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Basically, like I'm saying, God, I can't reach you, but this is the best that I can do. And I'm lifting my hands up to you, God, in an act of worship. And as, as I draw toward you, I know that you are going to draw near to us. So why do we do this? I believe God loves it. I believe God loves it when we do it. I also believe it's an offering of praise to God. Psalm 141 verses 1 and 2 says this, O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me, give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and let the lifting of my hands be as the evening sacrifice. Some of us today, man, maybe when we worship here in a few minutes will be the first time that you've ever lifted your hands in an offering of praise to God. And it could feel a little awkward. It might kind of feel like you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. But when we do, we get to say, God, I am offering to you a heart of praise. And what I've often realized is sometimes, even as a pastor, I don't want to worship. 
worship. Too many things are happening around me. The week was crummy. And I come in here and I'm just doing my church thing, right? I mean, I told somebody just yesterday, hey, this is difficult, it's challenging, I got to get my Sunday game face on. Right? This is game day for me. And then sometimes I come in here and man, I don't want to put any energy to worship. But then when I realize that this is an offering of praise, and for a moment maybe I just do this, my whole world begins to change. My attitude begins to change. The things that were so big and felt so bulky as I entered into this place seem to get so small when I begin to compare them to the power of who God is. See, I'm offering praise to you, God. I'm offering praise to you, even if I don't feel like offering praise to you, not because of what I see and not because, but because of who you are, God, I'm going to offer praise to you. See, we lift our hands up because God, God loves it. And we lift our hands to him because it's an offering of praise. But we also lift our hands up because we're reaching out to him and he will draw near to us and we will draw near to him. Man, I love that idea. Don't you love knowing that you have a God that when you draw near to him, he is going to draw near to you. But another reason, another reason is this. When we lift our hands before God, we're declaring battle. It's declaring battle, and we need God's help, right? And some of us right now, some of us right now, we're in a really dark place. We're in, we're in a hard place. We're in a real battle right now, and I mean, I mean a real battle, something that's really, truly going on in your life, and if things don't change, you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know what life's going to bring you. You're not for sure what tomorrow's going to bring because it's so challenging, and so we're going to lift our hands up, and we're going to say, you know what, God? We're declaring battle. And I'm declaring battle. And God, I need your help with my battle because you're all-powerful, God. And, and you're in this battle with me and for me. And so, God, I'm going to lift my hands up. And so, in fact, I love one of these Old Testament moments, probably one of my favorites. In Exodus chapter 17, the Amalekites come in and they start beating up the Israelites, all right? And, and so Moses gathers Joshua. Listen to this. Exodus chapter 17, verse 9. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with my staff of God in my hand. So Moses is saying, Hey, I'm not really going to fight, but here, Joshua, you gather some men up and you go fight Amalek, and I'm going to take my staff, the staff God's given to me, and I'm going to go up on the side of the hill with my staff. Listen to verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses told him, and he went and he fought Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Now get this, whenever Moses held up his hand, what happened? Israel prevailed. Anytime Moses' hand was raised in the air, guess what? The Israelites were winning. But as soon as Moses lowered his hand, what does it say? Amalek prevailed. I mean, do you get this? What's going on? Winning, losing, winning, losing, hot, cold, right? I mean, this is what's going on. And so they're kind of picking up. As soon as Moses' hands are up, man, there's a power that happens within them and the battle is winning. They start taking, making progress and, and they're winning, right? But as soon as Moses' hands go down, it's like the power's not there. The arms are up longer, acknowledging the power of God. The people of God 
started winning. When the hands went down, not acknowledging the power of God, the people of God started to lose. And so here's the reality for some of us. Some of us right now, we're in a battle, and it feels like you're losing. It feels like you can't get ahead. It feels like two steps forward, one major step backwards all the time. And so what I think we should do is it might be time for us to raise our hands and to say, God, I trust you no matter what. Maybe it's time for us to lift our hands up to him and say, on my own, I don't have the ability to get this done, so I seek you and I lift up my hands and I praise you. And in spite of what I see and in spite of what I feel and in spite of what's going on around me, I will continue to praise you and I will lift my hands to you declaring battle. And this battle is not mine, this battle is yours. And God, I trust you and I lift up my hands. And God, I declare that by faith I believe you are fighting for me and you, you, the power of you is greater in me than the power that is around me in this world. And then what's interesting is verse 12, whenever Moses' hands get tired, because guess what? If your hands are up while there's a battle going on, eventually your fingers are going to start to turn numb. And the blood isn't going to flow that way. It's going to drain down into your feet, all right? I don't know what happens. But they got tired. And listen to what happened, verse 12. But Moses' hands his, grew weary. And so they took a stone and they put him under the stone. They said, here, Moses, sit down. And Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other. And so his hands were steady until going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Man, is that not a great story? Is this not a cool thing? Because this is the reality. And this is, honestly, this is why I love church. This is why I commit my life to doing what I do. Because we gather here and sometimes I walk through the doors or you walk through the doors. And guess what? Your hands are too weary to lift. But there are people next to you who you are sitting by. There are people who are worshiping with you who are there so that they can help raise your hands and win. I mean, this is why every week at Mountain View, we do our prayer time. Honest. Because it's a moment. There's nothing magical about coming up here and standing up here and praying. You can pray from your chair. You can pray from the foyer. I hope the foyer is as holy as the worship center. Right? You, you can pray anywhere. But what it's about, it's about the people of God gathering together, worshiping, saying, hey, God, you're all powerful. You're all, I'm in battle. This is hard. I want to praise you. I, I want you to draw near to us as I'm drawing near to you. And if it's too hard right now to raise your hands, there is somebody not far by who will raise them for you. And that's one of the reasons I love church. It's one of the reasons I gather here every single week because corporately we can stand together leaning on one another, lifting each other's arms up saying, together, together we are going to seek God and, and together we're going to press into him. And, and when I can't hold my hands up, man, I want to be there to help you hold yours up. And when I can't hold mine up, I want you to be there to help me hold mine up. And that's what this is about. And some of us are in a battle right now. And we all need to declare, God, I need you. God, I can't do this on my own. And so what are some of the reasons that we raise our hands? Well, the first reason is this. God loves it. 
just like a child raising his hands to his father. So we raise our hands to our father and he absolutely adores it and loves it. Another reason is we raise our hands to God and it's an offering of praise. It's just simply saying, God, I don't feel like this sometimes, but you know what? You're God and I am not. You're powerful and I am not. You're all knowing and I am not. And so I just want to praise you for who you are and what you've done. It's also an opportunity for us to raise our hands to him and say, I'm reaching out to you, God. And what I'm asking is that you'll reach out to me. That you'll reach your heart down into my heart. But the other reason is we raise our hands because we're declaring battle. And we need his help. So think about this. Throughout history, what have uplifted hands meant? Right? Two things. Only two things. Throughout all of history, raising our hands has only meant two things. The first thing is victory. You win, right? Have you ever watched a track meet? I was a youth pastor for years, so I'd spend all days at track meets sometimes watching the one kid run the 15-minute race that you didn't know when in the day it was going to be. And so you'd stand there, and, and you know what? I'd always sit by the finish line. And you know what happened at the finish line? Somebody crosses that finish line, and they get the ribbon. What happens? Come on, show me. Hands up every single time. Talk to marathon runners. They, they train and train and train, and they, they finish it up, and they get to the finish line. Maybe they're dead last, but man, they are dead last, and they finish that. What happens? I did it! Victory! Right? This is true for men in the room, all right? How many of you men, this whole raising hands thing gets you a little uncomfortable? Honest. Just be real with me. Let me see. Yep. But how many of you say men watched football yesterday? <laughs> and how hard was it when your team made the touchdown that you went, yeah! So don't tell me you don't know how to worship. All right? How many high fives were there in the room when something happened? Right? So I'm just, I'm not picking. I'm just being real. That's just not my thing. I'm it's you know, uh, right. Let me invite you to a Blazers game and let me see if you know how to worship. All right, now I'm meddling, aren't I? I crossed the line. Sorry, James, forgive me. All right, yeah. But seriously, seriously, you're at a sporting event and all of a sudden you may not be religious, but all you get, oh, we get religious at sporting events, don't we? We do, we do. When our team's winning, we get religious. But there's a second thing. So first one is victory. The second thing is somebody puts a gun to you, what do you do? These are the two things. Two reasons we raise our hand. Throughout history, the only two reasons we raise our hand. Victory and surrender. Victory and surrender. And guess what? In the presence of God, it means both simultaneously at the very moment that you surrender to him is the very moment that you have victory in him and I could preach on that all day long. The moment that you surrender is the very moment that you have victory and and so I don't care today. I do care. That's not right. Let me rephrase that. I know all of us come from a different place but I'd ask you today that you would experiment with me. That maybe as we enter our time of worship, you would sing at the top of your lungs today. That you would lift up your voice at the top of your lungs today. And that your worship today would be a moment of declaration of praise. And as you reach out to God and watch him reach out to you, as you raise your hands, it would be an offering, but it would also be a battle cry. And so will you join me this morning and worship God
And at the right time, maybe, maybe for the first time in your life, would you maybe even do the TV thing, all right? <laughs> Carry the TV. And help him become more in you so that you might become less of you. So you stand with me and would you worship together with me?